You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're We're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside. Mic check, please. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Ducks on the Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. My name is John Gordon. I'll be your host. And I'm your host, Katie Burke. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited Podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you, the DU Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Ducks Limit Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Jennings. Joining me in studio today is... My co-host, Dr. Mike Brazier. How are you, Mike? Doing well, Chris. It's great to be here with you. Awesome. So we got a couple emails just asking some questions about this specific topic, and, and we wanted to come on here and provide everyone an update on the highly pathogenic avian flu. We've done, what do you think, Mike, five, six different episodes? Probably more than that, really. I think we, yeah, five at least, uh, dating back to last summer. Yeah, and so, you know, just based off some of these emails and some feedback that we're getting here in the office and social media and things like that, uh, we wanted to come on here and just provide an update on on kind of what we know now. You got some updates that are, you know, pretty interesting information. Um, I have, you know, I was out in the field all season, and so, you know, I kind of saw this whole thing play out, really, you know, across Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee, uh, Louisiana, you know, every place that I went, and so... Today, Mike, I think it would be awesome for you to go ahead and just start out just by providing, you know, kind of an introduction to this update. Yeah, and I guess, you know, first thing, thanks to the people that expressed interest and wanted to hear a little bit more about this, we're we're here in early February. The the light goose conservation order is is going on, and and folks will remember this is the time last year when we started Mm -hmm. to really see 
the the spread of avian flu as, as snow geese started migrating back back north. And so we've had some people wondering, like, are we going to see that again? Um, is it are, are there any elevated risk for us to be hunting snow geese, Ross's geese this spring, kind of given where we are and given what we've seen over the past fall, uh, the past few months? And so that's that's sort of the nature of what we wanted to provide here. As you said, we've done a number of updates. We've talked about risks to to people, to retrievers, all those types of things. We're not going to get into those details again, mm-hmm. encourage people to go to our website that we've built specifically for this, www.ducks.org forward slash avian flu. You'll find all sorts of resources there, links to those past podcasts. And for this episode, what I did this morning after we received those emails, or I guess, guess I did this yesterday, I reached out to some of our colleagues in the wildlife disease field, in the, um, well, USDA APHIS. They're the lead federal agency that's kind of handling a lot of the surveillance and monitoring of this to get get some real updates from them, see if there's any data that they had that they had summarized. I know there's been a lot of data collected over the past few months and see if we're in a position now to begin begin understanding a few things from that data. So that's what we um, that's what we have here. And I, I I guess, Chris, the first thing that I'll that I'll start with is to share generally what we heard from the wild the, the waterfowl management community as we went through fall and winter. And one of the last times we had an episode on this was sometime in December, I think. Mm-hmm. And I had to go back and you look at that. The first week of December, I think. And and at that time we were still seeing a lot of sickness and mortality in light geese. We were getting reports of a lot of detections in ducks, but not a whole lot of definite illness or mortality in ducks, although we've talked about why that could have been the case. At that point, that was sort of the height of concern in the waterfowl management community. We're like, holy cow, is this going to continue? Looking back now with sort of six weeks, eight weeks in in the rearview mirror, what generally everyone said that they observed is that once we got to about mid-December, the observations of sick or dead birds, uh, light geese mostly, because that's what we were talking about, uh, just dropped off, just significantly dropped off in a lot of the places where people were seeing. And there could be a number of reasons for that, and we don't have all the data on this, but it could be that the virus just ran through the population really quick, and mm-hmm. those that were going to fall ill did so. It could also be that we got a lot of rain here in the Mississippi Alluvial Valley, and, I, and that's a lot of where our our personal experiences were and what we were hearing from a lot of our partners. Got a lot of rain around early December in that time frame, and that helped spread out some of the birds. Mm-hmm. Could have, in theory, helped dilute some of the viral concentrations in the water. Whatever the reason, there's pretty uniform agreement in terms of what people observed about a dramatic decline in the incident in the instances of, of uh, avian flu symptoms, etc., around that mid-December. I got some data, actually, from colleague with with USDA and this is from one of their um, one of their reporting databases and it shows the same thing it actually shows the detections of this highly pathogenic avian influenza as reported through this data set over the past year and it shows the spike as we went through the spring it shows the decline as we went through the summer it shows the dramatic increase in September October November waterfowl ducks geese and swans were the principal 
taxonomic group responsible for those spikes, but then it shows, uh, really it shows a decline in January. This this still shows quite a few detections in December, but the data actually show a dramatic drop-off in, in January. So I think we, we have both observations and data that tell us that it, it's not nearly as prevalent out there right now, at least in terms of the symptoms that were symptoms or, mm-hmm. or, or dead or dying waterfowl as we saw back in the fall. Yeah, and I think, you know, what's what is what was the peak month there in the fall? I'm kind of looking at it upside down. Well, according to this, it shows October mm-hmm. as being the peak. Uh, and now, granted, this is sort of the volunt- – I think this is voluntary detection. I'm not exactly sure the source of like how this data comes in, so I don't mm-hmm. want to speak too much about that. But this isn't comprehensive, yeah. and they would be the first to tell you that. But it – would be, I think it's fair to say this would be a reasonable snapshot of what was happening on on the landscape. Um, so there's, you know, it, September, October, November, December, to be honest, there's all pretty high numbers there. And so that's going to reflect probably the different paces and timing of, of that it unfolded in different areas yeah. across the country. Now, the thing that I'll say is that we're here in February. There is every reason to believe that the virus is still circulating out there. Mm-hmm. There's every reason to believe that. And and we're still, I guarantee you, we'll still get detections in waterfowl as, as the surveillance continues. The point is that we're not seeing the widespread illness and mortality the way we did in, in the fall. And so I guess the other take home is that assume it's still out there, because I guarantee you it yep. is, and people need to continue to take precautions uh, to avoid spreading this, contaminating backyard poultry flocks, commercial poultry facilities. Uh, everybody listening to this will will certainly be uh, aware of the increase in egg prices and maybe some other poultry-related food products. That's related in part, at least, if not predominantly, to how avian flu has infected or has affected um, the commercial poultry facilities and, and uh, industry here over the past few months. And whenever we started hearing about escalating egg prices a few weeks ago, I'm like, yeah, that's that's what we we talked about. People mm-hmm. that listen to the Ducks Unlimited podcast will know that they they should have expected that, anticipated yeah. consequences of this of this disease to the things that affect us on a daily basis. Yeah, and I think one thing that's interesting now at this time of year. Like you said, this is when we kind of started noticing it last year, probably February, early March, throughout the whole season. And now this is also based on my personal experience and some reports that I've got from other people. They mainly saw, you know, sick, and it was juvenile snow geese. And so, and, and maybe that was just the most obvious that people were just seeing, and there were, you know, much other, you know, things to report. But, you know, now with the light goose conservation order, it's, you know, that focus has turned to those snow geese. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like the guys that I snow goose hunt with in Arkansas, um, they're not an outfit or anything, but they just love to chase snows. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first three days of the light goose conservation order, they killed like 620 birds. Wow. Yeah. And so like you're putting, you know, now you're coming face to face with this, you know, some of the, what the indications were showing that this is the particular species that's being the most impacted. And now hunters are taking that focus right to those birds. Uh, so that's why I think 
you know, one reason why we decided to do this. Um, but, you know, what should, you know, just from your perspective, like what should hunters who are going on the light goose conservation order hunts um, in the Mississippi and Central Flyways, like how should they approach that? You know, what is your recommendation? I know based on an email that we received yesterday, you know, guys were like, I'm not going to go. Um, but what was your recommendation to him? My recommendation would be based on the feedback that I received from the, the professionals mm-hmm. in, in the field. And I, th- I think the the belief at this at this time is that the risks of interacting with snow geese, Ross's geese, you know, any of the other, well, I guess those would be the two species that people are going to still, will be hunting now. Maybe there's some other geese. Yeah, I guess there are some other late season mm-hmm. uh, goose, popu- uh, goose seasons out there. The risk of interacting with those now is no more, is believed to be no more elevated than it was in the fall and winter. The other, but with that said, the the guidance is to 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 take the same precautions as a hunter that you did in the fall and 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 winter. Whenever we're around these birds, handling these birds, walking through the areas Pro- and processing. the waters, processing, and you're you need to be increasingly careful and cautious if you or your family member or anyone that you associate with has backyard poultry or has interactions with commercial poultry facilities. I've heard multiple reports. This is sort of secondhand, so I can't necessarily verify it, but it it seems like it would be true that there are some commercial poultry facilities that ban their employees from waterfowl hunting this year. So it's a serious deal. Uh, I think, what was it? It, Even by the end of November, over 50 million chickens and turkeys or commercial poultry had been um, had been affected had to be euthanized because of this and I know that number is greater now I don't know what what it is at this point but I guarantee you it's greater so it is still an ever-present threat to backyard flocks and commercial poultry facilities and we've seen how that affects us on a daily basis so exercise ex- extra caution if you are a person that interacts with those with those spaces be mindful of cleaning your gear of of, of where you are and um, all of those types of things anyway given what we're dealing with with the, with the virus but certainly elevated cautions if you happen to be in those um, associated with uh, commercial or backyard or commercial poultry yeah and you know something that I, I actually asked you this yesterday and I think it's it was good it may be something good for you to explain the fact that there hasn't really been any more reports of these, you know, of, of avian flu, but the expansion of reports in different animals. So, you know, and, and I asked you something about that yesterday and you're like, oh yeah, you know, like there is reports of avian flu being detected in skunks and possums and different coyotes and, and things like that. So kind of explain that and if that's something for people just to keep an eye on. Yeah. Let's let's set that aside for just a second because what I wanna I want to lay out here is some people have are probably wondering why are we not still seeing snow geese, light geese being affected the way they were in fall and winter. And there is some data that's emerging now to kind of help shed some light on this. And I got it from from wildlife disease expert from the Southeastern Cooperative Wildlife Disease Study just uh, just yesterday. And there's been some testing. Like, so the way they do these surveillance efforts is they can go out and do cloacal swabs or, um, or what do they call them? Uh, pharyngeal swabs in, in, the, in the throat. 
and they can look for the presence of the live virus. And so that's, those are some of the easier tests to, to conduct. There's some noise around some of the results, but nevertheless, that it, it can detect a live virus. Then they can test for antibodies by drawing blood. And so there's some of that work that has been going on and some of those res results are starting to come in. And as an example, this is preliminary data. Uh, there were some uh, sample of birds collected from Louisiana in January. And the data that I received indicated that 62% of those birds, these were these would have been live birds that would have been captured. Um, they had, or maybe they were hunter-harvested birds. I'm actually not sure about that. So one one source or the other, either live birds or harvested birds, um, they, 62% of those indicated presence of antibodies related to an H5 strain of the virus. Now, they can't say if it's a high path or low path. Like I said, there's even some noise in some of what they're detecting there. But, but nevertheless, that tells me that a significant portion of the population, as we expected, was exposed to the virus. Some of them got sick and died. We certainly saw that last fall. But there were a significant portion, just given the number of snow geese, Ross's geese we still see out there, that likely got it and were able to fight it off and now have antibodies that are providing some protection against, you know, against it should they come in contact with it again. And so, so that's kind of the way we think it played out. It ran through the population, affected, infected of the vast majority of them, let's say, and, and killed off those that were, had more naive immune systems that were otherwise compromised or ill in, in some way. Uh, the same way viruses do in really any type of uh, population, human or wildlife. So we have at least one data point that tells us what's going on out there in a certain segment of the population. It's not definitive data. It's not taken from a sample across the entire U.S. or anything of that nature. But it, it at least kind of gives us some confirmation of, of what we suspected, that some segment of the population has circulating antibodies. And that gives us some insight into uh, kind of what's going on out there in the population. The other question or that we're starting to hear about or get is what are we uh, what's up with these detections in uh, in mammals mm -hmm. and other groups of animals you know we talked last year that even then even last summer there had been a number of detections of avian flu in variety of mammals harbor seals foxes um, I forget what some dolphin uh, forget what some of the others were and of course, eagles and other mm -hmm. raptors, you know, we've kind of talked about that as well. Most of those infections are the result, believed to be the result, of the eating of sick or dead birds that had that died as a result of mm -hmm. the virus, right? So scavenging of these of these uh, infected birds. And and I'm sure anybody that's spent time out across the Arkansas landscape or any of these other places where you see a lot of um, a lot of infected snow geese, you probably saw some eagles or other kind of raptors taking advantage of that. Oh, yeah. We certainly did. And there have been some reports of some dead eagles as a result. So even in these in these mammals, it's believed that that infection occurs as a result of scavenging. My limited research here over the past week tells me that at present there haven't been a, there haven't been many, if any, documented cases of of transmission from one infected mammal to the next. It's like all of these things have they think have just result of individual 
scavenging events. Now, there are certainly some reports of depopulation of some mink farms somewhere in Europe. And I think the data is, last I saw the date, they were still waiting on some of the data to try to figure out if there was mink to mink transmission or if it was all the result of, you know, I don't know exactly how all that played out. But I think the bottom line is there's still some uncertainty about what's happening in with with avian influenza infection in mammals and whether it's going to be transmissible from one individual to the next obviously if the 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 more times that uh these other groups of animals are infected with the virus the more opportunity there is for a mutation of the virus that would give it the ability to to jump from individual to individual and that's when it becomes a concern so there's there's a lot of surveillance people will probably start hearing about uh, global efforts to prepare for a potential outbreak of avian flu or, or pandemic of avian flu. I've even seen some of that. There's been some op-eds that are circulating. So uh, people just need to kind of be aware that's what's going on. People are, or the authorities are not wanting to get caught uh, flat-footed. They're wanting to be proactive in the way they're thinking about this and the way they know viruses can operate and mutate. And that's why last fall, USDA APHIS asked us to pass along discouraging folks from uh, from feeding carcasses of harvested waterfowl to hogs that they may have in their backyard. Apparently, that's a somewhat common practice, although I've never heard of it. But if you feed your carcass of an infected individual to, let's say, a hog in this case, then you're giving it an opportunity, an additional opportunity for that virus to infect another taxonomic group. And the more times that happens, the greater the likelihood of it mutating into a form that's transmissible from one individual to the other of that other taxonomic group. And that's some, certainly something that we want to avoid. But that's the nature of a lot of this other interest right now in what we're seeing with infections in other animals. We'll continue to keep an eye on that. And there's a lot of work ongoing in, in the wildlife disease space. The other thing that I'll say is that this is our understanding. Anything that I've said thus far is our understanding of the situation right now, kind of February of 2023, as new scientific studies are conducted and new information is developed or new information is obtained. Uh, we will we'll bring that to our folks as we think it's relevant. And, you know, it's, it's our understanding of this virus and its risks to humans and waterfowl is sort of subject to any of that new information that we get from from additional scientific studies. So there's a couple of other things, Chris, that I wanted to mention. But for right now, any other questions from you? No, I think, you know, from before you get on your next topic, you know, one thing that'll be interesting to look at is, you know, we talked about on an earlier podcast that we were noticing, you know, large numbers of these birds getting sick, snow geese getting sick. And, and that was like October, November, like early on in the duck season. We talked about the fact that it could be because we had a couple of real big cold fronts and those birds were traveling and it's putting a lot of stress on them. So as these snows, you know, work their way north, which some of them are working their way north fast right now, you know, maybe that stress of migration, we may see that. I'm just curious, like as the, as, as this, as the spring unfolds, it'll be interesting to see how if that shows up again and you know that could could be something that based on my just casual observations and, and thinking process there you know that that could be something that that lends itself to more of an outbreak or seeing people just at least reporting more um, sick or dying birds anything is possible the other thing that we know that is possible and this comes not from my expertise but from what i've I, the things that i just told you about and it comes from uh, discussions with the with the experts 
the virus can mutate. Mm -hmm. It's possible that the virus can mutate and become more infectious uh, to a segment of the population that thus far had avoided. Any and all that type of stuff is is possible. We know viruses mutate, and that's the that's the nature of concern around what we're seeing in some mammalian species. So, sure, it's possible. There's the the fact that it has uh, that it has declined here over the past couple of months does not mean that people need to let their guard down it does not need to it does not mean that people need to stop reporting sick or dead birds i have no i have no insight on whether increased infections or mortality as these birds migrate north is likely I think the the fact that we're seeing circulating antibodies would probably, in at least in some of this sample that we're talking about here, this one one little piece of data that I'm familiar with, would probably tell you 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 wouldn't expect it, but that doesn't mean it's not possible. And that's the one thing that you can always say about things that happen in nature: anything is possible. So hunters should not let their guard down in terms of the role that they can play in this, how we're keeping track of and and responding. To, uh, to to this issue. So as you were saying that, all I was picturing in my head was that scientist from Jurassic Park, and yeah. I just wanted you to say, "Life will find a way." Life, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> Please say uh, that. Yeah, you know the guidance that we provided in the fall still stands. <laughs> don't let your dog go pick up all these dead birds if you don't know the cause of mortality. Mm-hmm. If you see a lot of dead snow geese or Ross's geese, whatever laying around, or any other kind of mortality outbreak, call it in. Mm-hmm. Um, don't go picking up the birds. Follow the guidance of your state and federal authorities. I think the states really did a good job, from my understanding, of providing some of that guidance, especially mm-hmm. where those outbreaks were intense. And so, appreciate everyone. We appreciate all the interest in this topic. I will also say that we had a lot of people, obviously that were seeking information, wanting to know what the deal was, mm-hmm. wanting to know if there was going to be a population level effect. I can say on that topic, I've not spoken with anyone. This continues to be the case. I've not spoken with, with anyone that believes the amount of mortality we saw uh, is going to cause population level concerns, at least not for um, for some of the more common species. I can't speak across all different species and areas. There may be a few instances that and, and species that are of elevated concerns, but I, I, I've not heard about them. The bottom line is we'll have to continue to see what happens as we go through spring, summer, and then the fall, of course, next year is the big question. Are we going to see this again as young birds are produced and start traveling south and congregate and they still have those naive immune systems? Are we going to see this happen again? I don't know, um, and I'm not even really asking anyone about their opinion on that yet. So um, that's kind of where we are. The other thing that I'll say is that then this comes from a representative of, of USDA APHIS. They're starting to hear reports out of Central and South America of an uptick in cases of observations there. I don't know, and I think that's, I don't know really what group of birds is, is associate, that's associated with, but the point is there are still some areas that are starting to, that are seeing upticks in cases, maybe not here in North America yet, um, and as those birds move back north, are we going to see an uptick? Don't know. That's why it's important for people to to stay on guard, to stay, uh, to continue to make observations and continue to call those in if they see them and take proper precautions as a hunter and as someone that's interacting with these birds. Yeah. And as we, when you say call these in, you know, I think 
most state agencies have a process in place now. So, you know, check out your state agency website for any information on how you can report those. Um, you got anything else, Mike, before we wrap this up? Man, I don't think so. Anything come to your mind that we're forgetting? You know, same same precautions are, are in place that people need to... Te- and, and, you know, I, I wouldn't tell anybody to not go snow goose hunting. Mm-hmm. Again, going back to what we discussed a few minutes ago, there's no reason to believe at present that the risks right now are elevated above what they were in the fall and winter. And so uh, people went out, went hunting. Then I think it's safe to do so now. Just be responsible. Be very cautious if you're around those commercial or backyard poultry facilities and do your job to report uh, sick or dead birds. And I, I think we'll continue on and, until we get more data. Awesome. Great, Mike. That's a, that's a fantastic update. And I think, uh, you know, snow goose hunters out there, um, you know, get after them. That's, yep. uh, I think that's the word on the street. Yep. Enjoy, enjoy the, uh, the opportunities that we have here in the spring. All right. Thanks, Mike. I'd like to thank my co-host, Dr. Mike Brazier, for providing us an update and not saying life will find a way. (laughs) I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting Wetlands Conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. Stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Mossy Oak has partnered with Ducks Unlimited to bring you Shadowgrass Habitat, the official camo of Ducks Unlimited. Shadowgrass Habitat pays homage to the first waterfowl-specific camo pattern ever made, Mossy Oak Shadowgrass, while incorporating the most realistic, digitally accurate images of the natural habitats that make up true waterfowl habitat. Mossy Oak is committed to conservation as its highest priority. With the launch of Mossy Oak Shadowgrass Habitat, Mossy Oak will continue funding habitat protection projects through our longtime partnership with Ducks Unlimited. Check out the new Shadowgrass Habitat pattern at mossyoak.com. Step into the world of Campus Waterfowl, a community that's shaping the future of the hunting industry. At Campus Waterfowl, we're more than just hunters. We're students. We're, students. we're conservationists. We're conservationists. With the next generation. next generation. Join us as we highlight the dedication and commitment of young hunters nationwide. Visit CampusWaterfowl.com to become part of our story. Campus Waterfowl, the future of hunting starts here. We are the Ducks Unlimited Nation. United by our passion for hunting, the outdoors, and conservation. The habitats that Ducks Unlimited have been maintaining and building since 1937 have effects far beyond the duck hunting community. Follow along with our YouTube series as we tell your stories and become part of the Ducks Unlimited Nation. DU Nation. Take it outside.